The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. we're going to be looking at all the way up to Easter. And uh, we've kind of titled it Breathe uh, because we're going to be focusing on, I guess, habits of connecting with Jesus. Um, And so the subtitle is Cultivating a Pursuit of Christ and kind of fits into our theme for the year. If you're new to our church, we've been on this journey since uh, uh, kind of September last year uh, where we've set as our focus this year, John chapter 15, and and the idea of remaining in Christ and remaining and abiding in in the vine. And so, again, this this idea of spiritual disciplines, which is a word we don't like using a lot, the idea of how we can engage and connect and, and abide with Jesus in a more meaningful way. And so, again, we've set aside the month of February, these next three weeks, to have a time of prayer and fasting that we've been talking about. And if you, if you haven't heard about that, it's not too late to get on board. We kind of started yesterday, and we've been encouraging people to fast anything, something uh, that obviously is important to you, that's going to be a sacrifice, not something that you would gladly give up, but something that is a sacrifice. And not just for the sake of losing weight or for some other motive, but for a spiritual purpose of pursuing Christ, of, of really growing in your relationship with God and really experiencing Him in, in, in your spirit and in your heart and drawing closer to Him. And because we all know we, we all give up food because we want other benefits of that. But true Christian fasting is about pursuing Jesus in that. And so we encourage you to be a part of that if you want to. We started yesterday and we'll be finishing with our reunion and also to kind of tie in with some bigger things that are happening. So as an Australian Christian church, uh, we're also uh, a part of our movement. They've decided to fast uh, over this period as well, a 21-day fast. And so we want to get on board with that. But also in the broader Christian calendar, it's the season of Lent. Uh, which is the preparation for Easter. And it's about really preparing our hearts and repentance and reflection and meditation on the cross. And, and so we felt that it was a, a really good time to really focus on these, this idea of spiritual disciplines and breathing in and breathing out the, the presence of God. And so we've based it on Richard Foster's classic book, A Celebration of Discipline. We're not going to go through all of them because uh, I think he looks at 12. Uh, we're going to look at three kind of inward ones. Uh, today, fasting, meditation, and prayer, and then four outward ones, which are solitude, simplicity, submission, and service, and then one corporate one, which is confession. And so those are the ones we're going to be focusing on. And so we hope that it will be a really positive and enriching time of us breathing in and breathing out the presence of God. And so this morning, I want to look at fasting. Fasting. I mean, uh, already you probably formed a perception in your mind about fasting. And, uh, you know, fasting has a rich history and, and people all over the world fast. People who, uh, fasting is not a uniquely Christian thing. Um, people fast for all kinds of reasons. Even uh, recently in Australia, not, not so recently, but there was uh, an uprising, if you like, in, in Villawood Detention Center and people went on a hunger strike. Um, the, the most famous political fast was Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who was in the late 19th century, uh, Indian uh, guy, uh, a holy, devout Hindu. And he 
peacefully protested and campaigned for the independence of India uh, for many, many years, about 30 years, and his primary weapon was fasting. Um, and, and you'd probably know that story. But you'd also be familiar that many religions in the world have, as part of their spiritual practices, fasting. Some of you probably have co-workers who fast in the month of uh, leading up to Ramadan um, and, and that kind of experience. I, I, my, my, many of my extended family are all Hindus and they fast in one form or another uh, on particular days or are vegetarian on certain times of the year or on certain days. And so we see this practice in many different um, societies and cultures. And even in the West, even people who are not particularly spiritual fast, particularly food, for all kinds of other reasons. You just do a Google search on fasting and you'll see a, a plethora of articles on the physical and mental and emotional benefits of fasting. Uh, really trending at the moment is this five and two kind of fasting idea where you, you have maximum calories for five days. You can eat whatever you want and two days you kind of limit your calories and they talk about the, the incredible physical benefits and the weight loss that comes through that kind of fasting. So there's a whole bunch of reasons that people go without, particularly food, uh, for. And so as we kind of begin this journey as, as Christians, we need to kind of go back to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about fasting? And how do we as Christians understand fasting? What place does it have for us as a New Testament community? And fasting, again, has a rich history in the Old Testament. You'll see it appear over and over and over again. And it's often associated with deep grief and deep mourning, um, usually associated with covenant violation. When the, the nation of Israel disobeyed God and, and violated the covenant and they were facing impending judgment, they would fast and they would repent and they put on sackcloth. And one of the classic stories is when Jonah, uh, that you might know this story, Jonah and the big fish. Uh, if you've spent any time in Sunday school or church, you would have heard this story. If you're, if you're, no, if you're not, uh, then there's this story in the Old Testament that some people uh, know because it's kind of a really weird story about this prophet who was sent by God to this nation um, to, to proclaim his coming judgment. And he disobeyed, rebelled. He gets swallowed by a big fish, gets vomited up, and he eventually does the will of God. That's kind of the summary of the story. And when he goes and proclaims this, this truth that, that God's judgment was coming, the whole nation, including the animals, were, were put on this fast in a sign of repentance. The poor animals didn't have a choice about it. But this idea of doom and gloom and grief and mourning seems to characterize generally fasting in the Old Testament. And then by the time we come to the time of Jesus, we see that fasting had become almost this badge of spiritual piety, um, this, this badge of I'm holier than you. And so we see this idea that the Pharisees often went around broadcasting to everyone by their sad, miserable faces that they were fasting because they wanted the recognition, oh, you're the really holy ones. You're the ones that are pleasing God through suffering, through fasting. And, and in parts of church history, that idea kind of crept into this habit of fasting. And people kind of felt fasting was this idea of torturing yourself and suffering somehow to, to earn God's forgiveness and His grace or to somehow please God or appease Him some way. And so fasting has had a bad rap. And so then we come to Jesus. We're trying to understand, well, what did Jesus show us and model us about fasting? Now, in the New Testament, the references to fasting are very, very few. 
there's not a lot, not a lot. And so it's tempting to think, oh, well, maybe fasting is not so important for Christians. And if you talk to the general person in a, in a church, that, that's what they would say. Oh, fasting, that's kind of Old Testament. That's legalistic. That's, you know, we don't do that anymore. We're free now. We're living in the New Testament era. There's joy. There's feasting. There's celebration. The marriage supper of the Lamb. There's no, there's no fasting. But hang, we need to slow down a little bit, just a little bit. One reference is that in Matthew chapter 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon, he talked about fasting. And what's interesting, two things about that reference. One is that he talked about fasting right in the mix of talking about prayer and giving. And the way Jesus talks about fasting there is that he assumes that you will do it just as much as you would give and you would pray. Jesus is expecting that his followers would embrace fasting in the same way that they'd embrace giving and prayer. And so Jesus uses this word, he says, when you fast. Not if you fast, not should you decide to fast, not if you're really spiritual and you want to fast. He just kind of said, when you fast, this is how you are to do it. So there's this assumption that fasting is meant to be a natural part of the Jesus followers' experience. Another thing that's significant about it, on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus didn't say, you must fast. It's not a command. It's not a legalistic imposition where we feel like, oh, Jesus said, I must do this, so I will do it. Jesus is saying, well, I I expect you to fast. And maybe somewhere in there is this idea that we're missing, that if we understood what fasting was really about, then we'd realize that we don't need to be commanded to do it. We just want to do it. And so Jesus has every right to expect that his followers would do it because he's expecting that his followers would know why they're doing it and go, of course I'd fast. Why would I not fast? I I can't wait to fast because I get what it's about. So Jesus in his own life, he modeled fasting. We, We know the story when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He didn't eat any food. He fasted for 40 days. But there's not much else about Jesus fasting at other times. In fact, Jesus is often considered a glutton and a drunkard because he was partying all the time. So it just goes to show that we're not supposed to be living in this state of continual fast, but there is a place for fasting for a period of time. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 13, 14, we see that the New Testament church, they picked up on this and fasting was a part of their normal worship practices. In Acts chapter 13, fasting is mentioned alongside worship. In Acts chapter 14, fasting is mentioned alongside prayer. It's like, well, it's just one of those things that we do as followers of Jesus. So what are we missing? What have we misunderstood about this practice and this habit of fasting? So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at um, this passage where Jesus explicitly teaches about fasting. And I want to just draw out three very basic and kind of obvious observations that radically shift New Testament fasting. And then kind of give you a couple of reasons why we fast in the New Testament, why Jesus expects us to fast in the New Testament. And then I want to kind of wrap up with some practical things that you can do to build spiritual habits in your life. Because we're beginning this series, we're launching this series, and if the whole idea of spiritual discipline sounds like hard work and sounds like something that you're not going to really enjoy, I want to give you just some practical tools that will maybe help you embrace a life of spiritual habits that will sustain and nourish your soul. 
because that's where we want to get to at the end of it all. Let me pray and we'll get, jump into it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come around your word. Thank you for this season of Lent that leads up to Easter and our fasting these 21 days. I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would experience pr- personal and corporate breakthrough as we encounter Jesus in new ways. And I pray, Lord, that you will come in the power of your Holy Spirit right now and speak to our hearts, bring revelation and excitement as we consider fasting this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and following. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Three quick observations. Number one, mourning has gone. We don't mourn anymore. Jesus makes it clear. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? So John's disciples, they come and they ask Jesus as follows. Hey, they ask Jesus, why don't your followers do what we do? With John's disciples, with the Pharisees, we all fast. How come they don't? And Jesus makes this point that with his coming, Everything has changed. Something is very, very different. And he says the place of grieving and mourning and, and kind of personal you know, self-abasement and, and kind of punishing yourself, all of that is gone. Why? Because the bridegroom has come. Jesus says, why will the friends be grieving and mourning when what they've been grieving and mourning about has now been accomplished and achieved in me coming? It doesn't make any sense, Jesus says. That's what he's saying. He says, I know that the Old Testament longing was for the kingdom of God to come, for the Messiah to come. And there was grief and mourning and and fear. And and, and they didn't want to lose out on the promised land and their inheritance in God and all of those things. And you grieved and mourned in fasting. But now I'm here. The bridegroom has come. And there should be rejoicing and celebration and mourning and grief ought not to characterize our fasting anymore. I want to apologize. All of these photos are going to have bridal images. So if you're a single person, I do apologize. It's Jesus's fault. He uses the metaphor of a bridegroom. So I'm just going to go with that. All right. So this idea that mourning has gone, the bridegroom has come. And that has to characterize our thinking about fasting. The second thing Jesus goes on to say is this whole stuff about patches and wineskins. Now, I don't know if you've heard people preach about that, and they kind of preach just that part, but it's interesting that Jesus says that around fasting. So what does that have to do with fasting? Well, I think what Jesus is saying here is that everything is now new. Everything is new. Everything is changed. Fasting, all the things that you knew are radically different now. And the reason I put that picture is that because the bridegroom has won, right, at a wedding, the father of the bride walks her down and kind of goes, okay, she's yours now. 
and something changes in that moment. The relationship you once had with your family of origin changes. And over the years, I've done plenty of pastoral counseling, plenty of work preparing people for marriage, plenty of people helping people after they're married. And one of the biggest problems couples have is, is if they don't get this right. If there is still an unhealthy, unhelpful attachment to their family of origin, they can't leave and cleave as the Bible talks about. That's what Jesus is saying here. The new and the old cannot coexist. It has to be radically transformed, radically changed. Fasting can't be like it was before because I've come and I'm here now and everything is different and everything is new. I am the new patch. I am the new wine. And if you don't get that, you'll never get what fasting is all about. It's about celebrating what Jesus has done. So our fasting looks back to a, a climactic historical event, which is the cross of Jesus Christ, where he died and he rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And we look back to that because in Jesus, the kingdom of God is here. The very longing and the deepest hunger of our heart has been satisfied and has been fulfilled. And Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God in a radical way. And our world will never be the same. Everything is new because the bridegroom has won. And so when we fast, we look back and we remind ourselves that the old and the new cannot coexist. Jesus, the new wineskin. Jesus, the new wine. Jesus, the new patch. Jesus, the new garment. Everything is new. And we have to carry that with us as we fast. The third thing Jesus says in verse 15, part B, the time will come, he says, when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. See, there is a time for fasting, even for Christians. Because if we just stopped at that second point, we can go, well, there's no place for fasting. The bridegroom has come. The party has begun. The kingdom of God has been ushered in. And we're just waiting now for the consummation so we can celebrate and rejoice because Jesus has conquered. Jesus has triumphed. But Jesus says, no, no, no. There is still a place for fasting. And that's when the bridegroom is no longer here, when the bridegroom has gone. Now, some people believe that Jesus is referring to the time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But when you read it in the context, it seems to be more indicating the time gap between his first coming and his second coming, or his first departure and his second coming. This idea that in the era of the church, now, is the time for fasting. Now that the bridegroom is not here, now that our conquering king is not here with us, there is a place for fasting. And that is when we do fast. And that is when we do seek him. But how and why do we do that? Why do we now fast because the bridegroom is not here? How is it any different? Well, two things. One is that Christian fasting is really an expression of saying, Jesus, I want you more. I just want you more. And so th this picture, again, is about this idea of the pursuit of the bridegroom. That's the heart of Christian fasting. It's this idea of, Jesus, I, I can't get enough of you. I just want more of you and more of you. Now, again, you might be thinking, hold on a second. Didn't Jesus say, you know, I'm going, but it's okay because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to be with you, and he's now in you, and so you don't need to grieve and mourn. Yeah, yeah, he did. But it's like this. It's like when you taste something, and it's really, really good, and you just can't get enough of it, and you just want more and more. kind of reminds me of Dash and Disneyland. 
If you've known Dash for any period of time and you get her talking about America, Disneyland will surely come up at some point. The first time Dash and I went to the States, we went for a day. And I had, uh, there's a photo of it and I wanted to try and find it, but I couldn't, I didn't have the time to do it. It's of her holding on to the gate once they've closed it. And I'm trying to kind of peel her off the gate saying, it's time to go home now. And then the second time we went with the kids, we, we got a three-day pass and we went for three days and she's still talking about going back to Disney. I'm like, we've done that already. She just can't get enough of it. And it's kind of it's like, kind of like that, that Jesus is saying, when you, when you taste of me, when you, all you've got is just a taste. All you've got is the first installment. There's so much more. Which is why in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul can say, you know, we see dimly, but one day we're going to see fully. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John says the same thing, that we kind of only see and only know partially now, but there's coming a time when we will fully know Jesus. And so our fasting is an expression of that longing to say, Jesus, I, I want more of you. What I have is just such a, a, a foretaste. It's just a down payment. Jesus, there's so much more of you that you want me to know and experience and have, and I want it. And I will pursue you, and I will chase after you, and I will fast and set my heart on you because I just want more of you. More of you. It's not about grief, not about mourning, not about punishing yourself, not about saying, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. It's saying, Jesus, I just want more of you. And if fasting for a Christian is, it becomes about anything else, sometimes we think, I, I fast to get what I want. I, I fast to, to get God to do what I want him to do. And fasting is like my trump card to twist God's, God's hand to, to do what I want him to do. This is what Richard Foster says about that. He says, how easy it is to take something like fasting and try to use it to get God to do what we want. Fasting must never, must forever center on God. If our fasting is not unto God, we have failed. We have failed. If we use fasting for anything else other than to pursue Christ, then it's not New Testament fasting. It's not New Testament fasting. It's not Jesus fasting. It's not the fast that Jesus calls us to. Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom, and the best that you will ever know and have is in me. So pursue me, hunger for me, long for more of me. The second reason why we would fast as Christians is related but slightly different. It's an expression of our desire for, for Jesus more than other things. We, we want Jesus more. And the reason I put that picture up is to make this so clear to you. When, when a bride is walking down the aisle, who do they have eyes only for? The bridegroom. They, they don't look around and go, oh, cousin so-and-so is here. Oh, my auntie, oh, nice to see you. You know, oh, oh, what are they wearing? Oh, my goodness, why are they even here? I don't know that person. Who are? No, the moment they walk into the church, they just have one focal point. It's like everything else disappears, ceases to exist, ceases to matter. It's just total focus. Jesus says, that's the kind of fasting I want. That when, you, when you get me, when you receive me, when you understand me, when you understand the kingdom, when you understand what I've come to do and give in my death and resurrection and by the pouring out of the Spirit in your life, when you get that, then fasting is saying, Jesus, I love you more. More than food, more than social media, more than television, more than whatever. So much so that Paul can even say in 1 Corinthians 7 to the married couples, fast sex for a particular period of time as a husband and wife. Give it up because you want Jesus more. 
Jesus more. And so often we get distracted. And there are plenty of warnings in the New Testament about substituting the essential for the temporary, of pursuing the gifts instead of the giver, for, for settling for secondary things and missing out on the ultimate things. And Jesus says fasting is a way for us to remind ourselves that it's Jesus above all else. A couple of quotes for you. One from C.S. Lewis, which is so impacting. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We settle for far too little. That's C.S. Lewis's point. Listen to John Piper when he says this. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. No, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. Fasting is a way for us to make room for the great, for the ultimate, for Jesus. Which is why Paul in Philippians 3 can say this, I consider everything rubbish, dung, refuse for what that I might know Christ more above all pursue him with my whole heart I I want to know his his great love I want to know him above all else pursuit of the bridegroom pursuit for more of him and pursuit of him more than anyone else more than anything else above everything else so what have you decided to fast? Is it food? Is it television? Is it social media? Is it socializing? Whatever it is, bring that attitude into your fasting. Jesus, I love you more. I want you more. I desire you more. I long for you more than this. Now can you see why Jesus says when you'll fast? Because if you get it, you'll want to fast. You'll want to because it creates space in our hearts for more of him. Gets rid of the clutter, brings clarity of focus on Jesus alone. So how do we do this in a practical way? Because when, we, when you talk about disciplines, that's a dirty word for some people. And there's some truth to that. Because in one of the articles I read in preparation talked about how all of us have a discipline marker. Some people are really disciplined. Others aren't so disciplined. And it's one of those things that's, kind of unshiftable to some point. It's kind of like the rubber band, that we have a natural shape of discipline. And yeah, we can stretch for a period, but our natural inclination is to go back to our original. So when we hear things like spiritual disciplines and these kinds of you know, praying and reading the Bible and, and fasting, we struggle because we think that I've got to be a bigger shape. We think that I've got to be a more disciplined person now. And if we think that way, it's like thinking about running a marathon, not knowing where the finish line is. And imagining that you're running and you're tired and you're weary and you turn to someone on one of the specters and say, how much further? And they go, we don't know, just keep going. Just keep going. And it's like, no, I can't. I can't. And so we give up and we get discouraged because we, we think that we have to be more disciplined. And I read this article and it was so helpful and I hope it'll help you not just think about fasting, but to think about any spiritual habit, prayer, reading your Bible, whatever it might be. Three things that will be really practical. One, make sure you have the right mindset. Don't think about being a more disciplined person because that doesn't have a finish line. Think about 
having a more disciplined season. Think about a sprint, which requires an intense amount of effort, but for a short, definite finish point. And most people say, you know, 21 days to form a new habit. That's not true. I've tried. About 66 days, about two months, it'll take you to form a new habit. Now, if you can tell yourself that I can sustain this effort just for two months, what will happen is you'll click into a habit. And when you click into a habit, that creates its own momentum. And then you can shrink back, being, go back to your same level of discipline that you had before because now a habit has formed. So have the right mindset. Think short-term, achievable, whatever it is, 66 days, two months. Mark it off on a calendar if you want. The second thing that, that would be really, really helpful is to be consistent. Be consistent. And this is the biggest challenge. But if you can just tell yourself, I need to be consistent just for 66 days. I just need to mark it off and just do this. And it's like the, the image that would maybe help you is when you're hacking away through a bush track. When you begin, there's like bush everywhere. You've got to you know, exert a lot of energy and effort because changing anything requires effort. And so you start hacking away and hacking away and hacking away and you hack this path. But you know, if you keep walking down that path, it will maintain itself because you're just walking down it all the time. You don't need to hack at it anymore. So initially, it might require a lot of work, but if you consistently walk down that path, it becomes the new path. It becomes the new way you do things, and it becomes a new habit. So be consistent. The third thing is start small. If you've never fasted before, don't tell yourself, I'm going to fast a week. I'm going to go without food. I'm just going to go cold turkey. You'll probably die. Don't do that. If you've never fasted before, just go, you know what, I'm just going to give up one meal every day. Start small. Because fasting and any spiritual habit is a muscle. And as you begin to exercise it, it'll grow stronger. And maybe for the first week, you want to just do one meal. Maybe the second week, you want to go, you know what, I think I'm going to go two meals. Maybe the third day, you might go, I'm going to fast sun up to sundown. Just eat once or eat every second day. Whatever it is, I'm just using food, but apply that to anything. If you've never fasted social media, just, just take it easy on yourself, all right? Just, I know for some of you, going without your phone for like an hour, is like you'll start shaking. You know? So just be kind to yourself. Just take it easy. Just kind of go, maybe 10 minutes, you know, I'll put my phone down. You know, I don't know, whatever. Start small. Because one of the biggest challenges to forming a new habit is discouragement. It's discouragement. And if you aim for the moon and you don't get there, you'll fail and you'll not want to try again. But if you just aim to take one step and you achieve it, you go, oh, that wasn't so bad. I, I think I can do that again. All right. Oh, yeah, I, there's two steps. And before you know it, you, you're a long way from where you started. Start small. Wrapping up. The reason why this is so powerful from a Christian point of view is that Jesus used the metaphor that he was the living bread and the living water. And he used these ideas of food and water, which are the basic necessities of our life, to remind us that none of us are self-existent. We are completely dependent. And if we go without water for any more than, I think they said, three days, our body starts to just fall apart. If we go without food for more than 40 days, our body starts to fall apart. We, we were created to be dependent to need external sustenance and ultimately created to need God. 
And that's why Jesus uses these metaphors of bread and water. And interestingly, in the, in the wilderness, when Jesus was fasting and the devil was tempting him, he actually made that explicit. He says, you know what? We're not, we're not designed to live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. There's a part of us that food and sex and money and power and fame and social media and technology, all of those things, even if we have it to the full, will never satisfy. And our hunger and our deprivation and our giving up of those things serves as a reminder that we were created to know something of God deep in our core. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. If, you. if you're not yet a Christian, you've been coming to our church for a while or a long time or you're new to our church and you're here and you feel that ache and you feel that hunger, not because you've been fasting, because you've been living out in the world and you kind of go, something's very wrong, something's very broken. I have everything I need and want and yet there's a restlessness in my heart. I want to suggest to you that that's Jesus. And he's offering himself as the living bread and the living water to satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. And nothing else will satisfy. Don't let religion fool you. Coming to church and singing songs and and going through the motions of Christianity satisfy you because that's not the real deal. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I invite you to explore him, to at the end of this service, come forward, let us pray with you to answer any questions you have, because we would desperately love to introduce you to Jesus, the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of your heart. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes, Luke, if you can jump. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I just ask for you to come and speak into our hearts, Father. Lord, as we take this moment just to be still and to sit with our thoughts, Holy Spirit, will you speak? Will you speak? Thank you, Father. Why don't we stand together as we bring this meeting to a close. If you'd like prayer this morning for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Our prayer team will come and pray with you. If you'd like to come to the front, We'd love to do that. If you're able to, we'd love for you to stick around for a coffee and a chat after we've dismissed this service. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus, if you feel that maybe there's things that God wants you to deal with maybe this morning, come and let us pray with you, pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just lift your hands as a, as a sign of worship and prayer if you feel comfortable to do that. Bible talks about lifting holy hands in prayer and submission and surrender and worship to God. I'll just pray for us. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will draw us to Jesus. Father, as we fast, as we seek you, Lord, may this not be just a one-off thing that we do, but Lord, may it be something that we embrace with our whole life, the pursuit of Christ. Father, in our praying, in our studying the scriptures, in our fasting, in the other habits that we will continue to talk about in this series, may it always be about knowing Jesus more. Father, will you captivate our hearts? Will you so fill us with your joy and your love? Lord, that we would hunger for more of you. May our physical hunger, may our deprivation, may our denying ourselves of things and going without things remind us that we will only be filled and satisfied with Jesus. God, I pray will you do such a powerful work in our hearts and in our church as we set aside our time to prepare our hearts and to seek after you, Lord. Be with us as we go. 
pray your blessing to abide on us and rest on us as your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. If you'd like prayer, please come and let us pray with you.